What up, AOTA family? Welcome to Passing Period and All of the Above Podcast Extra. As you know, we like to drop these in between our full episodes. And man, it's been a minute since we had a full episode. Um, full episodes, of course, super dope guests, video platform, multiple headlines and shout outs and all that good stuff. And um, in between those, we drop these passing periods, audio only, just Jeff, Mr. Super Duper Dope Principal Leader Man. And myself, Manuel Rustin, your favorite teacher's favorite teacher, uh, catching up on the latest happenings in the world of education. Uh, shout out to anybody who has been rocking with us for a minute through all these passing periods and all of that. We missed y'all last weekend. We missed y'all. I missed y'all for sure. For sure. Jeff, we didn't record last weekend, which is rare for us because we, we more or less one way or another get something out each weekend um, as we wake up on Saturday mornings to record all of the above. But um you know, you, you said you wanted to take a weekend off so that we could fully, fully focus on all of the above uh, favorite football team, 49ers. Uh, you wanted to fully lock in for the full weekend and be in a good place uh, mentally and spiritually and emotionally uh, to take in our our victory over the Detroit Lions. So so we didn't record. But here we are now on this almost about to be super rainy weekend here in Southern California. Jeff, how are things, man? How you doing? Oh man, things are good. Things, things. Actually, I'm gonna take that back, Manuel. <laughs> Don't lie to them, Jeff. Don't lie to them. Things are really not great. I, it has been a rough week for me. Uh, last time we recorded, um, things were fantastic. Um, and on our on our rare vacation week, uh, I had a spectacular day with my girlfriend. We slept in and, you know, got some good quality time together. Went to see a play. This new play that opened out here was pretty dope. So, you know, things were great, man. Well, and then I had to tell people just to like, there's times where you just feel like the world is just is just like crapping on you a little bit. And, and I understand in the grand scheme of things and in life, I'm still deeply privileged and grateful for that. But sometimes you're just like, really, really do I like, do I need this <laughs> right now? Like I got to deal with all this at once. So on Monday, Manuel, my, my innocence was stolen as an educator <laughs> when my catalytic converter was stolen while I was at a meeting, uh, at a, uh, one of the schools I work with. And, uh, I was Damn. reflecting. Yeah, man. It's so sad. Cause like I've been driving cars. I, and most of my time in New York as an educator, I took the train and the bus, but I did have a car, I think my final year as a principal. So I've been driving cars to schools for more than a decade now. And, uh, and never had anything happen to my car at a school, like nothing, you know what I mean? <laughs> like people, I think sometimes right, people, right. you know, they think like, oh, the kids are going to mess with your car or whatever, like never anything. No one ever messed with my car until Monday of this week, catalytic converter stolen. So then I had to go deal with that, you know, and insurance and all that mess. Then I had a, like a, this crazy medical episode with a pinched nerve that resulted in like excruciating pain. And I was up all night in pain and tried to go to the ER, but it was like a hundred people at the ER. And so I had to go home because they weren't going to see me. And then the next day I was at urgent care in the ER all day for like literally 10 hours, which I'm sure I'm going to have to pay a boatload of money for. To get nothing out for them to be like, well, Man. you're not dying. There's no blood clot. There's no, you know, whatever. Like, so just go home and hope it feels better. And, uh, and then I came down with a cold 
And, you know, I'm just like, oh, and my dishwasher broke in there. Although I wasn't going to fix the dishwasher uh, (laughs) by myself. So I'm kind of proud of that. But like, yeah, man, I just need a, a week now with like no ridiculous bad news like just just garden variety bad news will be fine i just don't want any illness or stolen property you know or anything of that so it was yeah it was a rough week man but i'm i'm here i'm I'm ready i'm hopeful and optimistic for the week ahead dang yeah that's that's a rough week for sure sorry to hear about all that um glad you are I mean, here we are at the weekend, so you made it through that week, and now the the recovery begins, whatever that looks like. But um, yeah, man, what? Hey, I I I don't have much to offer besides just uh, you know, rooting for you to uh get back up on your feet in all the different ways, and um, you know, get back in shape for next weekend, because of course next weekend our 49ers playing a Super Bowl, so you know, I'm hoping I'm hoping you have time to recover in in time for that. So right. so there's yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I will officially not be rooting for San Francisco. Just gonna yeah. put, just gonna put that out there. We are on a group text with a bunch of people, these California types folks who <laughs> uh, who we who we all went to grad school together, and uh, they were all like rooting for the 49ers, and I had to just drop some lions like a roaring lion gif into <laughs> into the feed yeah. at one point i was like i can't let this 49er propaganda go un unconfronted here but uh you know i'm happy for you manuel that you're happy i'm just not happy for the 49ers if that makes yeah. sense no I, I get that i'm i've been hearing a lot of that actually uh you know shout out to the detroit lions for sure i think the majority the majority of the nation who you know, follows or at least pays even any attention to, uh, to the games, uh, to the, to NFL. Um, I think most folks are rooting for the lions and I think that's, that's legitimate. You know, that's a great team, um, in a lot of different ways. And of course the franchise and, and the fandom and all of that, that, that's a great story. I actually do feel very bad for how it went down for them. I know my Niners got lucky. I know my Niners deserve to lose the game, but, um, you know, one way or another, you know, everything that could go wrong for Detroit went wrong. Their second half was kind of like your week, Jeff, where it was like one thing after another. And it was just like, what the hell? Um, so, you know, I definitely feel for for them and their fans. I think we have some all of the above listeners uh, who are, you know, Detroit Lions fans, or at least we're rooting for the Lions. And I also feel bad for Ravens fans, man, because I was rooting, rooting for Lamar and um, knowing that, you know, if my Niners won and then Lamar won, I, you know, knowing he would destroy us in the Super Bowl, but still was really rooting for the Ravens. I love that team too. And, um, you know, it's a tough way to go out. So, you know, shout out to anybody who is a follower of any kind of sports or whatever. Um, you know, if, if nothing else, I guess be, be happy for me. If the Niners actually pull off a miraculous victory over, uh, Kansas city. And I say miraculous because I mean, that Patrick Mahomes is, I just can't really picture him losing at this point. I cannot picture him losing. But, you know, if the, if the Niners do it, then, you know, if nothing else, people, be, be, be happy for your favorite teacher's favorite teacher. Because, you know, I've been waiting since I was a kid to see my Niners win again. But in any case, I think that does it for, for this week in sports on all of the above. Jeff, we have, you know, <laughs> as, as, as the calendar continues to uh, tick tick through now into February, which is a very difficult month, I think, for a lot of, a lot of educators, just because, you know, it's the peak for, you know, a lot of folks of like the winter uh, days and like, the, you know, um, just all the challenges of 
teaching at a time where like spring break is so far away, you can't really look forward to that. And the holidays are so far in the past that like, it's just, it's kind of like the doldrums for a lot of folks. Um, so, you know, shout out to everybody out there doing the good work this February. And if you are in California, my understanding is that the weather is turning into a very serious, serious event. So, um, you know, uh, stay up to date, uh, listen in on whatever local news that you have, because, um, some massive flooding seems to be on the way. And I mean that like, seriously, I know a lot of times we joke about California weather and California weather, not really being uh very extreme as compared to uh, other parts of the nation. But, um, the storm that's coming in right now and the one that's supposed to follow it are, are looking to be historic in a lot of ways. So, you know, pay attention. I know my district already sent out an email telling folks to like be on alert just in case because um you know they might have to shut things down if if things go um in a in a bad way so if you're in california definitely um you know hunker down as necessary and everybody else out there man just keep keep doing the dope work that we doing man that you're doing so so there's that jeff um we have we have a you know always there's a lot happening in education and we have a story here today that although it focuses on California specifically, um, you know, we, we could definitely see parallels and connections between this story and schooling across the nation as we continue to, I don't know, discuss, debate, um, question the impact of the pandemic and what, what to do as we, uh, you know, drift further away from the start of the pandemic back in 2020. So Jeff, this, um, this story here, we got um, a big money amount and um, looks like a big settlement in Wonky, California. So, so break it down to us, man. What what was the big story of the week as it relates to education here in California and um, obviously elsewhere? Yeah, man, big big news uh, in education here this week, and we are going to be citing uh, maybe primarily from an article in the LA Times written by Howard Bloom, but also I do want to give a shout out because there were some, um, you know, lots of reporting on this that I had a chance to take a look at. Uh, there was a piece in EdSource by John Fensterwald. There was also a piece in Cal Matters by Carolyn Jones. So, you know, an amalgamation of, uh, of perspectives, I guess, on this story, but but um, the LA Times piece was the first one we came across, so we'll, we'll ground it in that. And it's titled, Is Your Student Still Struggling with Pandemic Setbacks? A State Legal Settlement Offers Help. And again, this is written by Howard Bloom. And I have to say, at the, at the top, Manuel, I'm sure this is like a stock photo with models and not like a real classroom. But the, the picture at the top has this like beautifully diverse classroom of children. Yeah, it <laughs> it's like the festival of nations in there. And the teacher is this like regal looking black man with a spectacular Afro that I am spectacular, spectacular, right? Like, like he it's, looks it, so well moisturized and so fresh. Like it is extremely well moisturized and fresh. And I'm like, I, my my Afro game was never going to reach that level. I'm just jealous of this brother right here. So yeah. happy Black History Month with black male teachers <laughs> on the on the front of the L.A. Times, even though I'm yeah. sure he's probably like, you know, an actor in Hollywood or whatever. Probably. <laughs> but, uh, but giving us a good name out there for <laughs> for the black male educators. But anyways, I digress. Um 
The article is telling the story of a new $2 billion settlement that um, a group of plaintiffs uh, made up of different community organizations and individuals um, and brought forth by some pro bono, uh, you know, public attorney type folks who um, sued the state, um, essentially claiming that um that learning loss that took that took place during uh, the pandemic has been has had disproportionate effect on the state's most marginalized students and that the state did not do enough to live up to its sort of constitutional responsibility to provide a high quality you know equitable education to all um and so this settlement which was announced on thursday of this week so february 1st sets uh, new accountability rules for how california public schools are to spend two billion dollars two billion with a b to help students recover from pandemic learning setbacks um, educators must you know take affirmative steps and rely on proven academic strategies and track progress which will be publicly disclosed and if parents are not satisfied, they can file complaints. Um, this has been the result of a few years of litigation that date, dates all the way back to 2020, um, when, of course, uh, the state of California, along with many places around the country, um, had massive, you know, physical closures of school campuses, and especially in the spring of 2020, when we didn't yet have the sort of universal one-to-one devices um, in terms of Chromebooks, laptops, et cetera, that we more or less have in California, at least now, and I think in many parts of the country as a result of the pandemic. We also ha still have, but especially had then huge uh, digital redlining issues. So whole communities that had no access to high-speed internet and effectively were cut off from school because even if the school was providing instruction via Zoom or other platforms, uh, students couldn't access or they could only access if they, you know, sat in the parking lot at McDonald's or Taco Bell or something. Right. Um, so um, this settlement um it's huge news, Manuel. Um, there's billions of dollars that's going to be targeted specifically at meeting the needs and addressing, you know, the uh, the quote unquote learning loss that um, has been, you know, sort of most concentrated among the state's most marginalized students. Um, so black students, students at IEPs, English learners, you know, uh, students in the foster system, et cetera, um, you know, uh, houseless students, that sort of thing. So, um, so Manuel, big news. I am curious to get your take on this. I have to say I have like deeply conflicted opinions <laughs> about this settlement and, mm. uh, like a strange collection of like, well, this is great. And also like, I kind of hate this. And so I am curious to hear your take on this, on this matter. That's interesting, Jeff. Interesting. I look forward to hearing, hearing about, um, those two dueling sides of your uh, perspective on the story. Um, obviously when I, 
I shouldn't say obviously. When I when I first saw the news about this settlement, um, when I first when I read that first paragraph that you just um, um, shared with us about the uh, what's to say educators must rely on proven academic strategies and track progress, which will be publicly disclosed. You know that that's for me red flag, red flag, red flag. Um, but I'll I'll go back a couple steps and just say um, I'm never going to be against the idea of uh, parents and community groups having more. Um, more access to what's actually happening with uh, education funding and what schools and districts are doing with their funding. I think for sure this $2 billion, which had already been set aside. So it's not like it's a, an additional $2 billion that the state has to come up with. But, um, you know, I have no, you know, of course, I think it's, it's great news to know that that $2 billion, instead of just being, um, it's just instead of it just being a free for all for what school districts want to do with it and just like a rush to spend it. Uh, I'm glad that there's uh, mechanisms in place for parents and community groups to to monitor and oversee that and and um, and to target this money towards those students who are most marginalized. I think all of that is great. And I would really have no no criticism of, of that at all. Um, you know, so shout out to everybody who was involved in this in this lawsuit and and the settlement to make sure that California and school districts and school leaders don't just like, you know, just throw that money away into, you know, all kinds of things that, that aren't going to make any difference for our most marginalized students. So I think that's um, great news. And I think that perhaps is one reason why it sounds like these um, organizations and community groups, as well as the California Department of Ed and the State Board of Education kind of seem to be in agreement that this is, um, you know, kind of a good thing where we're at here. It didn't really sound like from the, at least the quotes in, in any of these articles, it didn't really sound like there was a, a big disagreement or protest on either side about the need in general to focus on our most uh, marginalized students and to divert, not divert, but to focus the funds on those students who need it the most. So I'm glad we're in agreement on that because I, I can see it going differently in other states. I could see other states saying like, you know, you got to spend the money equally across districts. It shouldn't matter, you know, what the demographics are, or this or that. You know, I could, I could see, you know, folks more on the right saying like, you know, spending more money or investing more money uh, in schools and districts and, and, and things that support most are most marginalized i can see folks on the right saying that that is uh you know quote unquote reverse racism and and what are you doing you know just because my my kid is white he doesn't get this you know extra tutoring like the the kids of color in that other school so i can see that in other states being a thing so i don't want to um understate how like how important it is that we do have folks on the same page here about like it's important to divert resources um, to and focus resources on on those populations who are most in need of those resources. That part shouldn't really be controversial, and it doesn't sound like it's controversial in any of this um, any of these um, reactions to the settlement that I see. But I go back to that initial red flag that I see: educators must rely on proven academic strategies and track progress uh, to folks who don't really, you know. Tr uh, traffic in education circles much. That sounds like a no-brainer. Obviously, educators should rely on proven strategies, and obviously, they should track progress to know that this money isn't being wasted. But I think, Jeff, you and I know, and most of our listeners know, that historically, that has looked like things that actually aren't um, beneficial for our most marginalized students. Uh, historically, that has looked like, you know, double blocks of math and English, um, more focus on testing, on benchmark testing. And it, it just, it, 
it echoes all that we heard in the in the 2000s um, when we were like really knee deep in testing as our our primary means of, of of accountability and monitoring student progress. So I worry that this two billion dollars will actually end up being used to exacerbate our rush back to testing back to uh, overemphasis on math and English and uh, push us away from the strategies that I think are like the no-brainer type strategies, which will be focusing on students' well-being, focusing on attendance, not not through like, you know, uh, punitive measures or anything like that, but but addressing the the various causes that are getting in the way of students being able to attend school and be in a healthy place in school. So if this two billion went towards or was was mostly utilized for uh, focusing on students' well-being, de- uh, developing and, and supporting more wellness centers, more uh, more behavioral therapists, more just like all the things that kids need. I would say that this is something worth celebrating in a very, very, very major way. But knowing that that $2 billion is probably going to go towards more tutoring, more summer school, which is likely in most districts to be done in a way that's not actually boosting student uh, student outcomes. Um, Just knowing that the money is probably going to go towards those things. You know, that's... um, that's what makes me worry that this might end up doing more harm than good. So that's my initial initial take. And I haven't spoken to anybody about this settlement, really. I've just been so knee deep in everything going on in my own classroom and in my own life that, you know, I'm definitely curious to hear your reaction to the story and, um, you know, see if m- maybe I'm maybe I'm a bit uh, off in in looking at it. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate your perspective, Manuel. I think there's a lot of what you said that resonates for me as well. And I, I want to start with, because I feel so torn about a lot of what I want to say that's a critique of this, Manuel, because if I, there's, it's hard to make this statement without just seeming like a defensive person who's part of the system, you know, part of education. And so I don't want to feel that. I don't want it to sound that way, even though I recognize there's a risk of it. Um, and, uh, and I feel like there's a, I also just don't want to dismiss the really hard work that these community groups and public counsel, who is the, um, you know, the sort of lead uh, law firm on this case, the hard work that they did in this case and have done or are doing in other cases to push for greater educational equity, to push for better funding and better resourcing of things that our communities need. And my message here is not that like these people are bad or that work is stupid or, you know, anything of that nature. Um, so I want to start with what I appreciate about this Manuel. And just at a high level, generally speaking, anything that is pushing to hold the state more accountable for doing right by the community is a good thing. And even if it's only like a part of a good thing and one step in a, in a good direction, like it's a good thing that the state is being held accountable in this way because it ultimately has a legal and constitutional responsibility to provide a high quality education for all of the people of this state. And it is clearly not living up to that responsibility in a bunch of really important ways. Right. So like on that level, dope. I'm, I think it's, it's a good thing. I would also say the equity lens of this, right. That like we should, even though honestly, Manuel, my read of this is that this settlement is not actually generating any additional dollars to be spent on public education. It is, purposing existing dollars that are committed to public education to be spent on 
the most marginalized students groups, right? The groups that were most harmed by the pandemic. And lo and behold, that happens to be the groups that we already know are most harmed by everything else in our society because our society is deeply racist and classist and unfair. And so in the sense that what this is doing is get, allowing us to dedicate our public resources in a more equitable way, that's a great thing. We should be spending vastly more resources on the communities that we have chosen to allow to suffer or have caused their collective suffering because we like to have a deeply unequal society. We should pay the fiscal price for that in this case, right? And there are other prices we should pay as well, but this is certainly one of them. And um, we have a responsibility to you know, try to mitigate the effects of this harmful system. And so on that level, I'm like, dope. I appreciate the fight. I appreciate the effort. I'm, I appreciate the willingness to come to the table and settle from the state, you know, and not drag this out for 20 years in court or something crazy like that. Um, and so that's a good thing. And I hope that this does bring us, uh, you know, what they are attempting in terms of outcomes, which is a reduction in, you know, opportunity and equity and achievement gaps in our state. So that could be a great thing. All right. Uh, like I'm down with that. Period. Next sentence. <laughs> I find uh, there to be like a bunch of flaws in this that I think are, are, you know, particular to this case and also that frustrate me about the repeated versions of this kind of like we have a big lawsuit and there's a settlement and then there's some money that's put aside for something for a period of years and then it's over and we it doesn't necessarily accomplish uh, any fundamental restructuring of things. So the things about this on a like on a more immediate level that I don't like, Manuel, are that I think it's actually doubling down, as you you know pointed out, on the potential risks and problems of a of a education policy agenda that is resurfacing a lot of the failed and just and just bad ideas from the No Child Left Behind era, which is the test is all that matters. And the only thing we're going to use to define success is math and ELA proficiency on the Smarter Balanced Assessment or some proxy, you know, the uh, interim assessment system that we are purchasing from a major publisher. And, um, and that further narrows the um, definition of what we are considering success and moves it, in my opinion, further away from what it should be. And that is also carrying with it the huge risk of narrowing the curriculum, both during the school day and also in the extracurricular space. So like you said, this, this has the strong potential, I think, of turning not only school itself into double blocks of ELA and math, like you were talking about, and more and more ELA and math remediation and intervention, which are certainly well-intentioned and might be warranted in some cases, but also has the very real risk and consequence of making school a sucky place to be for kids that is boring, that is not, you know, culturally relevant, that's not, that doesn't feed into creativity and joy and socialization and play and the kinds of things that actually make school fun. 
and make kids want to come to school and feel engaged in school. And that's not to say that English and math are mutually exclusive to joy and engagement. Not at all saying that. I'm just saying no one wants to be in the class that you're struggling with all day long. And no one wants to work on the thing that you don't feel confident about all day long. That is a recipe for turning people off to something. And we do, of course, need to confront the fact that kids are struggling to read or struggling with numeracy or these kinds of things. But you don't do that by just doing those things all day long and repeating the types of instruction that have not been currently successful in helping them grow in those areas and find success and joy in those areas. So I think there's some very, very real, um, you know, risk that under the guise of like, we're going to remediate, you know, learning loss, we're going to close equity gaps, we're going to do this like really great equity work. What we could see is the sneaky expansion of the no child left behind type reforms, which we have seen, but like we've seen this movie before. It's not good. And it's especially not good for the very groups of students that we're talking about in this lawsuit. Um, you know, and so when, when you hear the language of like, you know, proven educational strategies, that sounds great. Who doesn't want that? And also, what does that menu include? Right. That includes lots of public dollars going into the pockets of the testing industrial complex, frankly. And. You know, there would need, in my mind, to be some safeguards put up so that this doesn't just become a huge subsidy to the testing companies. Um, and, you know, there is, uh, for example, this this organization, um, Oakland Reach, is cited in these articles as being both a plaintiff in the case and having done great work. Right, I believe they were a plaintiff in the case. If not, maybe some yeah. of their members were plaintiffs in the case. But um, they were certainly heavily involved. And there were a community organization in Oakland that helps organize parents and trains parents, among, I'm sure, other things, but trains parents to do tutoring of children. And I'm like, that's great. I hope they expand. I hope we get a, an organization like that everywhere doing work like that. Would love to see it. Right. Um, I would be down with state funding going to support the expansion of programs like that. I would not be down with like, let's just do more math and ELA test prep after school and during summer school and, and that kind of thing. So I think we need some safeguards in here. I think there's, this is high risk for bad educational reform and a doubling down on a deficit narrative about kids, families, and public education generally related to how we define success, which is, you know, which they here are talking purely about test scores and most notably not talking about the very things that we know have been extremely, uh, harmful to marginalized kids and communities as a result of the pandemic. Right. Um, and so like, I think Manuel, the spirit is good here, but to make sure this actually doesn't have negative consequences or lead to just sort of a, an exacerbation of the belief that the public school system is failing or these kinds of things that, that I think, in this case, particularly is unwarranted. Um, I think 
I just worry that there's no real safeguards on this. And this is going to be like a sort of Trojan horse kind of thing where people are going to say, see, we had this big settlement and we haven't solved inequity. Public schools are failing and, and, you know, you should remove your kids from the public school system or these, these sorts of things, which I think is, is dangerous. Yeah. Um, so you said a lot there and I agree pretty much with all of it. And I am really concerned about this being a Trojan horse, as you say, um, particularly since there are so many for-profit companies, testing related and tutoring related, tech related, all that um, hovering for for funds. And if I'm a district leader who's already overwhelmed and already has so much you know, going on that and not like the easy solution for how to it's it seems like it looks like the easy solution for how to spend this money in a way that's in accordance with the settlement or whatever is to invest it in uh, more after school tutoring done by companies or done by, you know, online tutoring that hasn't really proven to be effective to to my knowledge and to expand the English and math remediation, just to be clear for folks not in California, English and math are the two subjects that are tested the most for sure. I'm a social science science teacher and we no longer have any kind of social science test. Um, So like, you know, if you're a school leader, you're going to invest in things that immediately translate, you think, to test scores, since that's probably going to be the main measure or possibly the only measure of success for these funds and you know you're gonna you're gonna as a school leader do that because that's what's always been done and that's a very dangerous direction to take i think um stanford professor sean reardon was quoted in this article he said educational outcomes are more unequal now than in 2019 if California state and local education policymakers don't act soon and decisively, that inequality is likely to become permanent. Likely to become permanent. What do you t- like? It it has been here since the yeah, beginning, exactly. as far as I can tell. Like it's already <laughs> permanent. So if you continue to use methods that haven't made a transformative difference in children's education, children from marginalized backgrounds, then like this money is, if anything, going to just help keep it permanent the way I see it, unless we're talking, unless we're having honest conversations about um, following some of these strategies that Oakland Reach you know, took. So if you're going to do tutoring, investing in the local community and investing in uh, parents and, and community members to, to, to enact a lot of that tutoring versus just hiring some company that's going to have some underpaid college kid or some uh, algorithm online uh, be the one to, to so-called tutor your kid. Like um, instead of just reaching for, oh, let's just have them take more math or math re- remediation. How about we use that money to to hire more counselors and therapists because the kids sitting in math class who are struggling in math, um, a lot of times it has nothing to do with the math itself. So we don't need more math. To your point, Jeff, uh, a kid sitting in a class that they're already hating or already not finding success in, just having them sit in that class more is not going to change anything. It's not going to um, tra- uh, drastically change anything for sure. So, uh, you know, if there were more discussion and perhaps there has been discussion, but I've missed it. I definitely don't see it anywhere um, in this article. But if there have, if there were more discussion about how to use these funds creatively in ways that differ from what's been done in the past, then I would be more optimistic about this. But so far, what I see is uh, statements like, uh, quote, requiring st- strategies backed by evidence that are effective. Like, you know, I know that my school having a wellness center, which we did not have prior to the pandemic, I know having that person, we have um, it's in terms of therapists, there's, there's one person there and then we have a community schools person and 
and some other folks, but in terms of having that that therapist there, I know it has drastically changed the trajectory of multiple students that I have. All of that's anecdotal. That's probably not going to tra- uh, translate to test scores. So when they say strategies backed by evidence, I don't think they're looking at any evidence outside of test scores, really. So, you know, I, I worry that those sorts of things that I see working are not what are going to be invested in. And instead, uh, the investment is going to go to things that translate to test scores because that's how it's always been. So I am really worried about what direction this is taking us in. And it just reminds me of an old lesson that we've known for the longest time. Like, you know, uh, you could talk about the right wing politicians and the so-called culture wars and, and all the challenges and problems with that. And then you look towards the more liberal side of things and it, okay, it might not be that they might not be banning books, but like, damn, man, stacking up the math and English and remediation and all these uh, strategies that haven't worked in the past. I can't look to that as being a good thing in education. So it's just like, it's just frustrating. Uh, It's just really, really frustrating to see that we're here, to see that despite all of the alarms rung by by so many wonderful, wonderful educators uh, across the pandemic about like, trying to reimagine education about trying to do things differently about you know the kids aren't all right and we need to address their uh social emotional well-being despite all the alarms and all the powerful voices we heard from dr patina love to goldie muhammad to others um about the need to utilize this as um a call for drastically reshaping the way we do education like just like that boom actually no we're gonna go ahead with quote uh strategies backed by evidence um and we're going to go ahead and get back to more testing more testing i was on a zoom call with educators from from multiple states i was the only california educator there and we were talking about testing and what testing looks like and it was just like so much testing going on like there's already a lot going on you know at my high school like the i-ready test that the students take in english and math um, multiple times a year uh ramping up to the statewide test like that's already a lot but i was hearing from educators that like they have so much more testing already going on and just to know that like we're right back right back where we started um in terms of like my time entering the education profession uh which is testing testing and what are you doing to support students because the test is coming up and this is a very frustrating really frustrating a huge missed opportunity and and yeah and you know again like i don't fault anybody involved in the settlement i like um the fundamentals of the settlement like making sure that money is used in a way to support our most marginalized kids and making sure uh, parents and community members have input and oversight of it those fundamentals are are stone cold like i agree with those a hundred percent like hell yes let's do that and then knowing and kind of seeing the the writing on the wall that like this is going in the direction of the old practices that that weren't proven effective in the first place oh man it's just such a bummer and um i I hope i'm wrong i really hope i'm wrong i you know i haven't read the terms of the settlement i don't know exactly um what the nitty-gritty details are but i just i don't see any sign that um it's something other than what you laid out in terms of a trojan horse taking us back to the uh full-fledged support of testing and remediation yeah, I'm sad to say, Manuel, I don't either. And I think so the, the the only other piece of this I think I want to speak about that really gets back to what I said at the beginning around like I don't want to just sound like a defensive educator. 
<laughs> and I recognize that to some extent, you know, I, I have spent my entire career working in education in one form or another. And so it is very difficult to be within a system directly or indirectly and to, you know, sort of carry the torch of challenging that system. Right. So fully acknowledging that is part of my bias, I'm sure. And there is definitely a part of me, Manuel, that looks at, at just some of the rhetoric around this and just says, like, are you kidding me on the, you know, the sort of idea that schools are to blame for even even accepting for the moment the narrative around learning loss, that schools are to blame primarily for the learning loss. I'm like, are you kidding me? At like, first of all, we only hear this kind of public analysis about like the the failures of a system related to recovering the damage of the pandemic about education. I swear I don't hear this about any other aspect of society. But have you tried to like call a customer service number for any corporation in America today? And how long do you have to wait to get someone on the phone because these greedy corporations refuse to pay people to work in you know, customer service, you got to wait for 45 minutes on hold or whatever to get someone who can barely help you anyways. Right. Um, you know, people who are buying anything, you go grocery shopping and you buy eggs and eggs are like $9 a dozen now. And you go to buy a car and car prices are ridiculously high. Like there's all of these aspects of society, I guess is what I'm getting at here, where things are officially much suckier now than they were before the pandemic. Service is worse. Prices are higher. Wages are, you know, relatively speaking, stagnant or not keeping pace, even if they've gone up with the level of inflation and just the rising costs due to greed of our corporate overlords here and the politicians that they own. And and so you look at every aspect of our society just about and it's like not as good as it used to be pre-pandemic. But we are told to taught to believe that like that's just the market doing what the market does and now it's like correcting and and it's just the benevolent hand of the market carrying it carrying out its will on like how things should be. But with school, no no no, it's those lazy educators who are to blame for the the you know the the suffering that people went through during the pandemic that impacted education. And I'm like you've got to be kidding me. Like you just have got to be kidding me that we are getting this type of critique and accountability when no other element of society, many of which have much greater responsibility, frankly, over the equity challenges that educators face in school than actual educators do. And that is not to say that we don't have a lot of work to do as a profession to do right by our students. I'm here for that conversation. I'm first in line for it. But yeah. like I'm so in the Cal Matters article that I cited, Tyrone Howard, your, your boy from UCLA, had a beautiful quote yep. which said black and brown students in California and across the nation have long been plagued by deeply unfair and persistent inequities in our system of public education. Co adding COVID-19 to the mix was like pouring gasoline on an already dangerous fire, accelerating inequities and damaging student learning. Yes, exactly. Like this stuff was already unfair and unequal. 
And then we added a global pandemic and it made it even more unfair and unequal. And we've done almost nothing collectively to make it less unfair and unequal, except for blame schools and say schools need to fix this problem. And as long as we take that approach, we are not going to fix this problem. And I don't say that to um, let us off the hook for doing the work we need to do as educators. I don't say that to be nihilistic. I just say that to say we are, you know, we're seeing this, you know, raging fire uh, that Professor Howard is talking about, and we're pouring water on like a little corner of the fire over here and saying like, it's it's not going out, <laughs> you know, and it's like, of yeah. course, it's not going out because families are in like deeper, more destitute poverty today than they were before. It's harder to make to ends meet today than it was before. There's more people living in tents in cities like L.A. today than there were before. And that's not neither the fault of the school system, nor is the school system the place where the solution to that problem is going to be found. School has a role. We should do that role. We should be held accountable for doing that role well. But we have this like yeah. scapegoat, um, you know, sort of nature to how we get talked about. And it, and it pisses me off sometimes, Manuel, frankly. And I feel like there's there's a lot of this just sort of. I don't know, like self-righteousness around like, oh, we want to do the right thing and address learning loss. And we've talked about this before, but it's like, but you don't support any other agenda in society that would address learning loss except for public embarrassment of the school system. And you're telling on yourself when that is your like <laughs> that is your policy platform here. And I feel like we have to speak out against that sort of framing of this of this issue. Yeah, we we absolutely do. Absolutely. Because the school system is bearing the brunt of the responsibility for the impact that the pandemic has had on young people. And at the same time, we're looking at just a real hellscape of a nation right now, depending on where you look like this morning, the biggest story or at least the top story when I opened up the, the app on the L.A. Times was about this graffiti on a skyscraper and the headlines two arrested in connection with tagging graffiti covered L.A. skyscraper across the street from the Grammys venue. So the Grammys are taking place this weekend and they're happening in L.A. Live, which is like the celebrated kind of entertainment center of downtown right by, you know, Staples Center, Crypto.com Arena, whatever they call it now. And there's this massive skyscraper that I'm thinking, like, how did somebody tag 27 stories of it? Like, how do you get away with doing that? And looking at the tagging, it's like really robust. It's not like little small, like, you know, quick little uh, sprays and then like onto the next floor. It's like really robust. And then it occurred to me in don't, going deeper into the article, like halfway through, like this freaking skyscraper which looks brand new and fancy from afar is unfinished and it has been laying dormant for five years. So the developer, uh, according to the article, so it's the, the skyscraper is known as Oceanwide Plaza. Um, the developer halted construction five years ago um, because they ran out of money and it's just sitting there dormant at a time when 
so many families, so many of my students' families have no consistent housing, have no consistent safe place to stay. You got this massive luxury skyscraper that has been untouched for five years, and now people are mad that it got tagged up. Like these taggers sprayed 27 floors of the building and <laughs> right across from the Grammys. So now LA's mad yeah. because it's right across the, from the Grammys and that's a bad look having all this graffiti right across from the Grammys. It's like, why is that the bad look? Not the fact that we have this massive skyscraper that has been dormant for five years now when so many people are unhoused, when so many people are struggling, but the real estate industry will not catch even a, 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 a sliver of the criticism that the, the school system will catch for why kids are struggling. Like it is just, a, uh, it's enraging really how so many other aspects of our society get away with blatant, blatant, um, exploitation and blatant greed and all of the things that made this pandemic worse yet it's the school system that's got to get the kids back to tutoring and english and math and this and that whatever it's just enraging man like i can't believe that folks are upset about this freaking graffiti more than they're upset at the fact that this damn skyscraper at la live not some like random part of los angeles where people don't really go to like in the heart of los angeles it's just sitting there dormant and all the billionaires who live in Los Angeles, all the money that flows through Hollywood, five years and no like solution to like finish that thing up and get some families in there. Like it is just a hellscape of a world that we're living in, in a lot of ways, man. So yeah, but whatever, man, blame the schools, get those kids back in a remedial English because the test is coming up. That'll, that'll solve these things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we'll just do uh, you know, even more eye ready and map testing and star testing, and that that will solve the issue, you know. And I, I'm just it's it's frustrating, man. It, it is hard to um, you know, it's hard, and I'm not even a classroom teacher. Right. Like I'm, right. I'm at least like a, a layer removed, but it, I feel like it's still hard sometimes to be like, to feel the type of inspiration. Maybe that's not the right word, but to feel that no. whatever the word is, that is that feeling where you like, you know what? I know my work has meaning and has importance and is a worthwhile thing for me to do with my life. And I feel like I'm a part of, on some level, trying to make the world a better place. And that feels like a good use of my working adult life, right? Um, whatever the word <laughs> is that captures that, it's hard to hold on to that when yeah. it feels like we are just being attacked for this, you know, in a scapegoating kind of way, not critiqued with, you know, sort of integrity around like, hey, man, like we got to do better on these things. Like I'm I feel like that's half my job is like to think about what are we going to need to do better on and let's figure out how to do better on it. Um, but the you know, just the sort of I don't know, the, there's some element of like undeserved critique and like lack of of gratitude or something that is just like do I don't know that people maybe understand how hard especially like these really good educators out here are working and to talk about them and their work in this way is it feels disrespectful 
on some level. Um, Even though we obviously have a lot, we, you know, collectively we need to get better at as a profession, but it it just feels like really we're going to hump, like heap another pile of society's willful oppression on the back of school and say, this is your problem. Why haven't you fixed this? Like, I don't know, man, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow for me. It definitely is. And talking about, pouring gasoline on a fire, man, when we talk about the teacher shortage and like teachers burning out and and how do we help make sure we we support and build a robust teaching force, particularly one um, that mirrors the demographics of our students. Like eh, I, I could tell you how you're not going to do it by getting these brand new teachers to focus on testing and focus on these benchmark tests and focus on test scores like doing that is a surefire way to push people away from the profession for sure so like man talk about exacerbating things like this teacher shortage that we're in the midst of will only get worse if schools and districts continue to push this like testing first that's the point of education type of of narrative that seems to be what we are fully racing towards and already there in many cases. So, um, and just quick correction. It wasn't just the one skyscraper at Oceanwide Plaza. So like one skyscraper got 27 floors of graffiti. Um, but the plaza itself is actually three big ass buildings and all three of them have just been sitting there dormant, vacant for at least the five, uh, five years, just unfinished, just right there, literally like a block from the Staples Center, just massive housing that is going unused because capitalism and to hell with them kids. <sighs> Very frustrating. Yep. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I, I, you know, I don't know how much more we need to say about that, man, but uh, we can do better collectively um, and we should. And it's not actually as difficult. Well, maybe that's the wrong word to use, but it, it is... It's not actually all that complicated, yeah. <laughs> I'll say. It is difficult because we're going up against, you know, very entrenched, very powerful interests here in this equation. But it is not actually that difficult for us to think differently about, you know, if we really want to address learning loss, like, what should we do? There's a laundry list of things. Laundry list. And we're doing none of them except... Blame the schools, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Just blame the schools. Just forget the housing. Forget the inflation, the cost of living. Forget all the stories that have come out about companies um, purposely jacking up their prices um, under the guise of inflation. Forget all of that. Let's just, these schools need to, schools need to do better. Um, yeah, man. Well, we shall see, folks. Definitely, if you're listening to this and you know anything about the cinema, I know a lot of folks uh, listen to our show who are um, close to California policy and politics. And if you have a particular view on this settlement, especially one that um, that we didn't express, especially one that maybe you know uh, reflects something that Jeff and I are missing, definitely reach out to us. Let us know. We would love some more perspective on this because um, things are. 
things seem to be trending wholeheartedly in the learning loss direction in a way that doesn't appear to show much promise for actual transformative change in how we educate our young people, particularly our most marginalized populations. So let us know what you think for sure. And if you are not in California, um, definitely uh, I would love to hear what the, the testing scenario is in your area because I feel at least just from my own school site, my own like day-to-day experience, I feel a tiptoeing back towards, not even a tiptoeing, maybe we're just like, a, maybe a fast-paced, fast-paced walk, not quite a run yet, but a fast-paced walk towards the days of constant benchmark testing and focus on test scores. I feel it happening here. Let me know what it's like in your state, in your district, um, because I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm drastically concerned about the direction that this is all heading. So, Especially if you have something hopeful to share about like, actually, it looked that way, but then it turned out this was actually, you know, maybe there's maybe there's some hope out there uh, that looked like learning loss at first and then ended up being some really great stuff to uh, serve our kids. So definitely share that with us if you got it. You could uh, find us, of course, at our website, AOTA Show. Dot com. Reach out to us, however you like, whatever works for you. Uh, we would definitely appreciate some ratings and reviews because it's been a minute since we had uh, an influx of new reviews. So, you know, the algorithms are probably overlooking our show. And there's probably some super dope educators out there who, especially during this month of February, who are really wondering if like... Is it just them who's like feeling like things are are not going great or in the right direction? You know, there's probably some folks who could really benefit from these conversations and benefit from hearing from our super dope guests that we've had uh, for for many years. So help us out with a rating or review so that we could hopefully pop up in those educators feeds and they could be part of these conversations and part of our AOTA family. Jeff, anything else before we get up out of here? No, man, I just, uh, well, maybe one thing. <laughs> I I need some thoughts and prayers, man. I need good luck this week, people. Help help me out. No, uh, I need good health. I need no stolen property. I need no random pains in the middle of the night. I need, uh, you know, appliances that work. And uh, hopefully this torrential downpour that's coming to California doesn't wash away uh, all of us here. So thoughts and prayers, people. Yeah. We'll take them. Yeah, for real, for real. Um Send those, send those our way, folks. Um, send those Jeff's way in particular as um, all of these things continue, continue to uh, pile up. All right. Um, and everybody out there, man, take care of yourselves. Um, we definitely love y'all. We, we hope everybody is enduring in the face of all the things that are happening, particularly those of you who work with schools and work in schools. Remember our young folks, man, they're not, they are not to blame for all these things happening. And if you are dealing with young people who are reacting in challenging ways and you're a teacher and you're just trying to get through and it's all so hard, um, you know, definitely hang in there, but also remember it's the young people, man, they are, um, they are facing some challenges and facing a world that I don't think I could have ever like pictured at the time when I was a young person. So, I tell my students every day, like I literally tell this every every day to each class at the start of class, I just appreciate y'all being here. I know some of y'all feel like you have to be here because your parents make you be here, whatever, whatever, whatever. But there are, it, it takes a lot sometimes just to physically show up in a space. So I let them know how much I appreciate that, no matter how small it might seem. But in any case, remember that we love y'all. Hang in there. Uh, stay dope, of course. Stay dope and keep shining. And um 
We'll catch y'all next time. And now it's time for you to go ahead and get to class.